Hey, welcome back to the podcast. Today we're telling the story of Aero Peru Flight 603. Thanks for listening. Hi, Mariah. Hi, Casey. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. I'm pretty good. That's good. I don't know how computers work, it turns out. So <laughs> It's okay. I'm like... I'm good at the stuff I'm good at, but yeah, and that's <laughs> the, that's what that's what matters. I hope so. I hope so. Uh, so it goes without saying that um, I've been talking to you about trying to decide which of these two stories I should do, and then I obviously just picked a different one because I couldn't pick. <laughs> should we just take requests? Should I ask our friends which I should do? Yeah, yeah, we could do that. Yeah. Uh, darling friends, we love so much. Um, I have like TWA 800 and Swiss Air 111 on like my shortest of short lists to try to do in the near future. Uh, and then I realized that, um, maybe they're kind of similar. Maybe you don't care. Maybe it's all in my head that anyone would even <laughs> care if there were stories that were kind of similar. Yeah. I try to space it a little bit, but... Um, I mean, I it's also know. important so you, that you, I mean, that you get joy out of telling the stories too. Yeah. I, 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 I like telling all like, I hate things. it all. It's, it's kind of, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just like, it's kind of obviously, you know, the subject material is sure. Uh, sure. Is sad, but it's, I don't know. It's important. It's important to me. Yeah. Um, and it's important to you my dear friend and it's important to all of our friends out there yeah so for sure i don't know if anybody has like a strong preference or if you just also just don't care if if i did those two stories back to back if it just would make no difference at all if i'm like overthinking it that's fine <laughs> um but that's so we're not doing either of those tonight okay. tonight we're doing Air, aero peru 603 let's do it uh so yeah aero peru 603 um is a the flight we're talking about kind of starts October 1st kind of October 2nd so uh, 1996 so the deal is it's a pretty new like kind of a little baby 757 so a 757 is a uh like pretty big plane medium size whatever it's three and three so a single aisle plane with three seats on either side mm -hmm. Uh, seats 150 people and it's flying from Miami uh, in Florida to Santiago Chile via uh, Quito and Lima so it's going Miami to Quito Ecuador to Lima Peru to Santiago Chile nice. so yeah I've right done, nice I've done the, right little... the Miami to, to Santiago before when it's straight it was straight though i think it was very nice 2006 or to the end of 2005 that was actually the week or the the two weeks i was there for two weeks and that was the october storm you remember that oh yeah so all of my teachers were super pissed that i was missing school for a week and then school was closed for two weeks anyways, <laughs> so they didn't even remember oh my gosh so i did all Beautiful. this but i was pissed because i did all this homework and they didn't even collect oh. it because no one did anything for two weeks. Oh my gosh! You shouldn't have done Terrible. it. That's why. <laughs> right. Never do your homework, kids. Gosh. 
big waste of time. No, the the October storm uh, was like this crazy thing in Buffalo for all of you. I don't know. Well, I guess it was in 2006. Um, and it was like a insane ice storm in October, which like Buffalo is cold, but uh, insane ice like flurries are, are not that common in uh, in October. Right. And it did... It was like visually exceptionally beautiful. Oh. Like if you look up pictures of it, it's yeah. it's shocking how beautiful it is. But it was extremely devastating. Um, like in Medina, my hometown, um, apple uh, farming is like a main source of income, Oof. and the apples hadn't been harvested yet. Yeah. So it was just it was devastating. Yeah. But it was a crazy time. Yeah, it really was, and it was just like a freak storm. It was so it was so bizarre. So you didn't see it though, because no. you were in no. South America. Yeah, I only saw the Lucky damage. Duck. Like, but even yeah. that was mostly cleaned up by the time I got back. Wow. Yeah, so I missed that wow. whole experience. That's crazy. Yeah. Not the seven feet in twenty four hours though. Right. You were yeah. there for that. I was here for that. <laughs> Love Buffalo. Um, <laughs> anyway, sorry. To interrupt. Uh, Go ahead. No, it's totally fine. The um, so. The 757 uh, flight takes off on October 1st from Miami, right? And uh, where our story picks up, um, it's gone from Miami, it's gone to Quito, it's gone to Lima. So Lima is the hub for, uh, or the base for Aero Peru, right? So obviously Aero Peru based in Lima. So they actually, instead of ending at their base, they're ending uh, at Santiago, right? So um, the plane has started out at the beginning uh, with a lot of people. Uh, I think I just said that there are 150 people fit on the flight, but no, <laughs> 180 passengers were on the flight. So okay. no, Casey, <laughs> I think that they must be really squeezing them in on this plane, which is fine, whatever. Right. So there were 160 passengers on board when they left Miami. But now uh, where our story picks up in Lima, flying out from Lima, uh, there's only 70 people left on board. 61 passengers, seven flight attendants, two pilots. So we're on that last leg of that trip, and it's just rolled past midnight on October 2nd. So uh, the pilots on this plane are Captain Eric and First Officer David. So Eric's 58, David's 42. So Aero Peru 603 is the flight number for every single leg, right? So every leg it's called Aero Peru 603. But in Lima, it is the hub, and they actually switched aircraft. So not oh. only is it like a new leg, but they also switched aircraft, right? So they've switched to a different 757, and now they are, uh, and they've got new pilots. So it's the very fresh flight, really. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but what else? That's what we're doing. So, uh, you know, I mean, Lima to, or no, pardon me. So, um, yeah, Lima to Santiago isn't really that far, so we're ready to roll. And uh, the plane boards up on the new aircraft and takes off at 12.42 a.m., The plane immediately starts to give them. Oh, sorry. There's so many. I'm just going to tell you right now, Mariah. There's so many details in this one. It's, it's okay. going to be a nightmare to edit. It's okay. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Okay. 
No, it's okay. I chose this story. I did this myself. <laughs> so um, as they take off, they realize that the altimeter is stuck, meaning as they're flying, the altimeter says zero, meaning the plane is telling them they are on the ground. Oh, boy. Uh, but they are not. They're flying, right? So there's three altimeters. There's one for each pilot and then a backup, and all of them are stuck, right? Um, that's very weird, but also right off the bat, pretty dangerous, right? You really do have to know, you have to know if you're climbing, you have to know, uh, like where you are. I mean, you're still over a populated area. So, uh, that's scary. The, the altimeter reads zero and then they get, uh, their airspeed indicator telling them how fast they're going is also stuck. So they've just taken off and they don't know how high they are or how fast they're going, which is profoundly, deeply dangerous. Yeah. We've talked about it a lot, but as you're taking off, that's a dangerous moment kind of implicitly because that's not dangerous. You should feel safe flying, but it's a uh, right. time where you really got to know where you are, how high you are and how fast you're going because you need to maintain enough speed to to climb away from the earth to get this like huge tube of metal to actually fly. Uh, Eric sees that and says, uh, again, Eric's the captain, David's the first officer. So Eric says, what's going on? We're not climbing. And David says, I am climbing, but the speed, the speed, with the speed, like, cause uh, they each kind of notice a different thing. So, uh, Eric saying like, why he looks at the altitude and says, why aren't we climbing? And David says, I am climbing. I'm flying the plane and I'm definitely climbing, but look, we don't know how fast we're going. Look at the speed. Eric says, uh, just maintain, maintain speed V2 plus 10, which means, um, so V2 is the speed on the runway where you're, you actually are going fast enough to take off. So he's saying V2 plus 10, he's saying, just maintain your speed, which is kind of like, we don't know how fast we're going, bud. But like, again, like, yeah, he's right. That is the speed we should maintain. <laughs> but like instantly they're confused and they're subtly not on the same page just at that exact moment. Right. They're, they're noticing different things because there's two problems. Right. Uh, the plane does continue to climb in actuality uh, and they start to fly over the Pacific Ocean, which is the direction they're supposed to go in as they fly over the Pacific Ocean. Uh, they're flying away from any visual reference. So it's the middle of the night and they're, they don't know how fast they're going. They don't know how high they are. And they're starting to fly over just the blackness of the Pacific ocean. Now at night, I mean, anybody who's had the experience of even being a passenger, you know, that like truly you, it's just all black nothingness. If you're flying over the ocean at night, the sky is black, the ground is black and, and, so immediately they're blind in the most like profound, bizarre way. Oof. All of a sudden, the rudder ratio alarm goes off. Uh, rudder ratio is a bizarre alarm to have randomly go off. It just uh, basically remember the American Airlines flight that crashed in uh, Queens where the rudder, he like slammed the rudder too fast yeah. back and forth while they were going fast while they were taking off. And so the we talked about it a little bit then, but the faster you're going, the less you have to move the rudder to make a turn, right? You, you, you don't, you're more gentle with the rudder, the faster you're going. And that's what this alarm is telling them, which again, what, what, what? Right. The, 
Uh, it's very, very weird. Eric uh, orders David to turn left. I think he wants to check on what the what's going on with the rudder ratio. Uh, Eric is just confused, is confused, and, and and there's all these different alarms right going off all of a sudden, and they don't know how fast they're going. They everything is just bizarre, and and Eric, Captain Eric, kind of like focuses on that rudder thing because it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, the altimeter all of a sudden just pops on. It just rolls up and it says that uh, they're at a very low altitude, right? Uh, it's an and descending. So the altitude, the altimeter pops on, says that they're low and says they're descending all of a sudden. Eric screams, climb, 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 climb. David says, I am climbing, but the speed, because David's still on the speed. The right. fact that they don't know how fast they're going. Uh, the altimeter it seems to be working, but again, they don't know what to focus on. Uh, Eric tries to enable the autopilot. He you know, tries to click on the autopilot, which we've had heroes do that before. Maybe the autopilot can kind of handle this situation. The autopilot immediately just shuts off because there's conflicting information coming into the autopilot. So the autopilot won't work. They can't activate it. Uh, they realize that different instruments, so like the instruments for the the captain and the instruments for the first officer are giving conflicting data. So the captain's uh, altimeter says one thing and the first officer's altimeter says a different thing. Uh, suddenly the mock trim alarm goes off. So they're getting like bizarre alarms going off and they don't, their instruments are not telling them where they are in space. Jeez. The... A mock trim alarm means that the flight isn't level, like that the plane's not actually flying on a level plane, a plane, but uh, they they feel like they're flying on a level. They feel like they're level. They feel, feel like they're good. Right. Uh, the master caution goes off. The master warning goes off and an overspeed warning goes off. So overspeed means that the uh, I, literally it means exactly what it sounds like. It means that the plane is going too fast. And when a plane goes too fast, again, it can just fall apart, right? Like things cannot just go infinitely fast. It will start to break apart in the air if it's overspeed. Uh, so this it doesn't make any sense. They don't know how fast they're going. They don't know how high they are. They're getting conflicting warnings. They're getting conflicting instrument data. Uh, so they declare an emergency and they call air traffic control and say, we have no altimeter. We have no airspeed. We have no basic instruments. Like we don't know where we are in space. Uh, air traffic control says, okay, altitude. And they said, we don't know. Oh we don't God. know our altitude. Ours is showing uh, 1000 feet. That's what one of theirs was showing at that moment. And I get it. Like air traffic control, God bless you. Like I, you, you ask right. the questions you got to ask. Yeah. I get it. But oh my God, right. <laughs> this is so stressful. Uh, the pilots request uh, like an immediate return. Right. And, they uh, start to turn back toward the city, uh, but they they're not control or they say they, they feel like they can't control the plane. Right. And they're saying, like, we don't have control of the aircraft. Now, the, the, the truth is that they do. Right. That's the, it, the good news in this situation is that actually they are in control of the aircraft. Yeah. But all the conflicting data and not having any sense of where they are in space and just the screaming alarms, everything just going crazy at them makes it feel like the, the plane is out of control. Right. In, in fact, they, they are. They are in control. Uh, the 
auto throttle disconnects. So their ability to like easily control, um, like maintain speed disconnects, right? Uh, Eric takes the controls. I wrote down in this one, I, I have like, for this story, I want to read some of the uh, things from the CVR. I do actually have the full CVR. So the auto throttle disconnected. Uh, Eric says the auto throttle has disconnected. He says, let's see uh, what reads there. Uh, he let uh, pilot. Uh, sorry. The um, David asked. Oh. <laughs> Eric asked David to to open up the manual and to go through and find out what these these cautions are that they're getting. He says auto throttle disconnect, rudder ratio, mock speed indicator. Those are the warnings that they're getting right now, besides not knowing how fast they are or how high they are. Uh, uh, David agrees to read the manual. Um, they are showing 500 feet now on the uh, altimeter, and it's just randomly like rolling up, rolling down. Uh, David says, these assholes from maintenance move everything. And Eric says, what have they done? And that, like, what? Yeah. What? Like, they they, they don't, they're, they're just seeing, they're so... It's so baffling, right? It's just bizarre, and they're trying so hard to figure it out. Uh, they say, you know, let's see, uh, try to just read the manual, look up and see what what does rudder ratio mean, and then they think, okay, oh, we'll ask air traffic control if they have us on radar, right? So they call air traffic control and say, like, can you see us on the radar still? Like, we're close enough for you to be able to see us, and they uh, ask if they can have vectors. They want to do a, try an ILS landing, right? An instrument landing system. Uh, landing where the computer would help mm. land the plane they ask air traffic control for their altitude and their altimeter at this moment says 4,000 feet it went from 300 to 4,000 feet and air traffic control says yeah 4,000 feet that's what I'm showing too and that's like a big relief all of a sudden because they're like okay so air traffic control knows how how high we are right and they say do you know where we are in space because you have us on radar and they do and the radar can tell them how fast they're going right by just measuring the distance as as the plane moves so the radar can actually tell them how fast they're going so the air traffic control lets them know uh that they are uh, like lets them know their speed lets them know their uh, altitude uh, the airspeed indicator on the plane drops to zero oh, and they ask for their airspeed again and the airspeed hasn't changed. So they just forget like the airspeed indicator on their plane. They just have to ignore, right? The one that's in front of them. And so, and they're going to try to depend on the airspeed from uh, air traffic control. Uh, air traffic control confirms that they're climbing, actually, that their uh, speed is okay and they're uh, where they are physically in space, right? Like how far they are. They're about 30 miles off the coast. In reality, no one on earth actually knows how high they are. Oh, no. Because unbeknownst to the air traffic controller, the altitude information on his screen actually comes from the plane. Oh, shit. So they do know how fast they're going from air traffic control because the radar independently measures that. But nobody knows how high they are. If they look out, all they see is blackness all around them. 
They have no visual reference point. They have no concept of how high they are. But they don't know that, and they think they know. So air traffic control tells them they're at 7,000 feet and climbing, really healthy distance from the ground, from the ocean in this case. Uh, Eric asked David to keep searching the manual to try to find an explanation. Uh, They're constantly getting new alarms, new warnings, just things blaring at them. Eric says, like, why does the speed go down so fast? Uh, It can't be the real speed. And David says, that's what worries me. I'm afraid it is the real speed. David proposes putting on the speed brakes, right? Trying to get control of their speed. And all of a sudden they get an overspeed warning again. The overspeed warning comes back on. Overspeed again is very, very dangerous. They're supposedly climbing. It's just nothing makes sense. Then the stick shaker comes on and the plane screams at them that they're stalling. Uh. Overspeed and stall are exactly opposite. Stall is you're going too slow and the controls like literally shake in your hands to try to remind you like tell you get your attention immediately before your plane falls out of the sky over speeds is slow down so they're getting two completely contradictory messages from the plane David believes that they're in a stall. He says, we, we must be in a stall. We have stick shaker, right? Because they're trained over and over and over again to respond to the physical experience of the, the stick shaker going off in their hands. Right. David calls air traffic control. Is there a plane that can come rescue us? Can you send a plane out to us that we can follow, right? Because then as long as they maintain, like they can know how fast they're going. They can know where they are in space. They say, you know, please, can you send a plane out to rescue us? Air traffic control says, yeah, okay, good idea. We'll try that. They uh, call the rescue services and say that they're going to prepare a rescue plane to come out and, and save them. Eric says, no, don't say that. Don't say that. Like it's it. He freaks him out that they need to have a plane come rescue them. Right. It's it's just I don't know. And again, like this is all happening over seconds. Right. right? right. This whole thing is happening so fast. And David says, but we are in a stall. And Eric says, how can we be in a stall? We're maintaining our altitude. Like we're we're, look, our altitude is consistent. Air traffic controls them that they are actually at 10,000 feet now and 2,200 knots. So according to air traffic control, their speed is safe and they are far from the ground. They are, they're not at altitude, crazy flying high, but they're where they want to be, yeah. safely away from, from the earth. And they said that, okay, we have a 707 that's going to fly out and rescue you. They're going to just take off, they're going to fly out, you're going to find each other, and they're just going to follow them home. Uh, at 103, 19 minutes of flying with every single thing screaming at them. With the stick shaker, the controls are literally shaking in their hands. They're going through the manual trying to see what what any of this could possibly, possibly mean. They uh, are talking about they, they think that the maintenance guys did something to the plane. All of a sudden, they get the... Terrain, terrain, pull up, pull up. 
that is terrifying, right? That is the worst possible thing that you could hear when all you see out in the world around you is just black nothingness, yeah. like you're flying through space. So the Tulo Terrain one goes off and they've been getting bombarded by so many different alarms constantly. The Tulo Terrain one goes off and so that is the scariest thing, but they don't know what it means. They don't know where they are. They yeah. don't know if it's true or not. They start to turn out further away from Santiago because they don't know where they are in space. So they don't trust where they are in space and they want to get further away. They think maybe we're flying over the city, over the mountain, something. So they turn, uh, they call, but they, they also think it's probably fake. They don't know if it's real at all because none of this is real. The overspeed warning isn't real. The stall warning isn't real. All right. these like just constant bombardment of messages. They call air traffic control and say, are we are we over water? Are we over water right now? And air traffic control says, yes, 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 you're flying over water. You're you're now 40 miles out from the coast uh, and they're still getting that warning. And David says, are, are we descending? Are we descending? And air traffic control says that you're flying at 200 knots, but still at 9000 feet. 200 knots is too slow, buddy. Right. Like I'm not again. God bless air traffic control. You're the best champs everyone one of you but 200 knots in this plane is actually really close to stalling Jeez. right and they have no idea at any given moment how fast they're going so they're close to a stall and even though they're close to a stall and even though they're told that they're at 9,000 feet they they try to pull the plane up because they just have to like pay attention like that alarm the too low terrain alarm is just is so I, obviously terrifying and they I just cannot imagine I can't imagine how confusing and scary this would be right uh Eric wants to just he wants to be done with it he wants to just go back forget somebody coming to rescue us I just want to go and and like get closer to the the airport I just need this plane to get on the ground uh he says that the air traffic control says you're you're maintaining 9,000 feet and actually calls them and says like the 707 is about to take off like they're coming for you like right now the 707 is going to take off and and rescue you he says like we need our altitude again and air traffic control says like do you have do you have any visual reference? Like you can't see anything. You can't see like the lights of Santiago. You can't see like you're just not looking at anything right now because they turned out to go out to sea, fearing that they had drifted over the city. They turned. So their back is to Santiago. They're facing just the Pacific Ocean and nothing else. So when they look out the window, there is literally nothing. Jeez. Uh, it says, are we going too fast? Should we should we lower the gear to try to make the plane like more controllable to slow it down? The left wingtip hits the water. Oh my god! Oh my <laughs> god! They scream like we're hitting water, we're hitting water, and air traffic control is talking to them. So air traffic control hears this and starts yelling, "Climb, climb, climb, climb!" Even though on his air on his radar in front of him, it shows them at nine thousand feet. Is the captain is saying like, "I got it, I got it, I got it." For twenty seconds after the left wingtip hits the water, they like fight so hard trying to level the plane out and try to like get their altitude back up. They try to pull away from the ground, but they were at two hundred knots. They were already going too slow because they've lost spatial awareness and because the left wingtip has hit the water, mm. it's it's flipping them over basically, yeah. and. 
David says, like, we're, we're going to invert. We're going to invert. We're going to flip upside down completely. And then silence. Oh. They crashed into the water. The plane um, broke apart on impact. And all 70 people on board were killed. Oh. I hate this one. That is, that is too sad. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. They never really told the passengers what was going on. Yeah. Uh, probably, I mean, for a hundred reasons, but not the least of which is that they thought they were at 9,000 feet. Right, right. And they're getting, they're just bombarded beyond belief, like beyond belief. But I do think about, you know, the passenger experience where this whole time, like you think you're... You think you're half an hour into a normal flight, right? You know, and then. But God, I mean, for the pilots, holy shit! Like, oh, because how gosh. long was that total? Would you say? I think it was like twenty, twenty-two minutes. That's I a think. long time. Twenty, and like the second they left the ground, yeah, like instantly. Ah, I don't know. I can't imagine because you can't depend on things that you have to depend on. Right. You can't depend on your training. Right. Because you're getting you have. That's the thing that some of the alarms, as it turns out, were accurate. When that too low terrain alarm came on, it was accurate. But the you can't have overspeed and stall warning at the same time. Right. And they have. And nobody knew that the air traffic control was was giving them back the data from the plane. Oh, God. So, um, the plane crashed, and uh, obviously everybody kind of springs into action. Uh, they go and search for survivors. Um, there aren't any. Mm. There were nine bodies floating on top of, on the surface of the water uh, with a little bit of uh, debris. Uh, But most of the plane and most of the people had uh, sunk to the bottom of the ocean. Mm. Uh, So now it's time for the investigation, right? It's a very bizarre, bizarre case, right? The... uh, Plane. It's important to remember that even though the flight had, uh, this is like the third leg of a four-leg trip, uh, this is this was a new plane. They had switched aircraft in Lima. Right. So 
uh, and as soon as the plane took off, they had reported problems to air traffic control, right? Um, the, we're going to actually talk about uh, the lead investigator for Aero Peru, uh, or no, well, for Peru, rather, uh, mm. not for the airline, the lead investigator for the Peruvian investigative body. Okay. Uh, his name is Guido, which I'm going to try not to laugh at that because that's like a, yeah. Guido is like a, Jersey Shore person, right, but it's also right. this nice man's name. Right. So uh, Guido just, just, just got hired. Uh, not hired. He got just got promoted to the uh, lead investigator at the Peruvian um, crash investigative body. Mm-hmm. So this is very literally his first case ever oh boy. in this role. Yeah, and it's obviously, you know, the the NTSB, like, these bodies investigate, you know, small crashes, obviously, you know, much more often, but this is his first one ever. And uh, so David, the co-pilot, is his nephew. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Jeez. And, like, uh, like, they were... Close, like they, yeah. it wasn't. I mean, I'm sure most of us have, you know, family members that are kind of distant. Yeah, but they were actually close, and uh, so he took it really seriously. He, you know, he's. I we all know people like this who um, are just like, you know, I don't know, like I'm gonna set all my feelings aside yeah. and yep. like function and just try to like stay focused and. Uh, obviously, like there's questions about whether or not you know there's a con- conflict of interest because they don't know this is the beginning of the investigation. Everything has to be on the table, including the idea that it might be David's fault somehow. Right. right? Yeah. Even though they don't have any reason to think that at this point, um, they did ask for help from the NTSB, like like people so often do. Uh, the flight had originated in Miami, so there were um, like a number of American passengers on board. And uh, the NTSB is usually down to help anyway because they, I don't know, it's their deal, right? Right. So they asked the NTSB for help. They also asked the U.S. Navy uh, for help to actually go down and collect things that they needed mm-hmm. from the bottom. Um, the, the, the debris field was small, right, because the plane didn't, um, didn't, break apart obviously before crashing and it wasn't uh like going at some incredible speed you know sometimes there's you know horrible crashes where the plane um is going at such a high speed when it hits the water that it you know breaks up and and creates this huge 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 like just field of parts of planes but the this this was a pretty small like discrete area where there was debris floating Mm. And then uh, when the Navy went down there, they could see, like, it's a, you know, everything's like in a specific spot, right? They can kind of get to everything. It's right there. Um, the NTSB actually did uh, question whether or not Guido would be able to do his job. Like, they said, like, hey, this is kind of a conflict of interest. Um, but they met him and talked to him, and they were like, okay, no, he's he's got this. He's, yeah. he's a professional. He can do this. It's it's very hard to imagine. It's right. very, 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 very hard to imagine because, I mean, plane crashes are so rare. And so to be in that position oh and God, then also, yeah. I don't know. Right. And then have your immediate family there. Like, I do wonder. Yeah. I mean, I'll let you. I won't 
give my opinion. I'll let you keep telling, but I, I go ahead. <laughs> I was just, I was just going to say like, so, I, it, yeah. it, I wonder if it was like an extremely healing process for him. Like people who can kind of separate yeah. those things, you know, like, I don't know. I just think about those parents who did the, that investigation where they went all over the U S like the Australian parents. Yeah. And has yeah. That, that's been for, really straight. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um that's real yeah right and it, like i don't know like i bet they would have just like that type of personality it's like very important for them to see that through you know like where if it was like my mom for example she would never be able to do something like that just because of her personality and like how emotional not that other people aren't emotional but it's like you know she needs to grieve in a different way right yeah. But I can imagine. No, I think that's yeah. very real. Yeah. Well, he's already the type of person who becomes an investigator. Exactly. Right? So it's right. already like, obviously there's um, like if, uh, if cops have a family member who's killed by a murderer or whatever, you know, things like that, then right. they, the, uh, it wouldn't be unusual, right. For them to focus on like part of their healing process or part of how they cope with it is by investigating and things like this. Right. And his, the, the conflict is obviously, again, what if, you know, do you worry that like he, he, what, they don't have any reason to think it's David's fault, but they have to be open to that possibility and things like that. But even that, I mean, he's a person, the kind of people who do these investigations aren't criminal investigators. Right. Sure, so right. even if, um, he has like a they they're they're looking to find out what went wrong. They're not looking to see who to punish, right? Like the the even if it was his fault, seeing he knows he didn't you know like crash the plane on purpose exactly. or whatever. Do you know what right. I mean? So even seeing what had gone wrong, even if it was a mistake he had made, they could see like I don't know his humanity in that in a way that I don't know. Yeah, but definitely. The NTSB agreed, though, that he that it wasn't that he was he was the right man for the job. So yeah. ultimately, it, they they kept him in that role. Um, the U.S. Navy uh, went like down with their little robots and um, got the the black box, so the CVR and the um, flight data recorder pulled that information back up. Mm. Uh, they brought it back to Washington to listen to with the NTSB. And uh, listening to it, they um, there's some information that they already had from the air traffic control recording, right? The idea that they knew that they didn't have their altitude information and they know that they didn't have their um, speed information. And when they listened to the, uh, the CVR and everything that was said in the cockpit, they... Uh, pretty much like immediately narrowed it down to like, okay, so everything that was wrong, because some of the warnings they were getting were right. The too low terrain warning was actually correct. Right. Right. So some of the warnings they were getting were correct and some were wrong. And everything that was wrong was uh, related to something called the um, ketostatic system. So we're going to learn. See, we learn a little something about planes every time. Right. <laughs> so the, it's very, very cool to me. I didn't realize this worked this way. So how does a plane know how high it is and how does a plane know how fast it's going, right? Like there's these little tubes, right, in the plane. Um, and speed might be a little easier to figure out because, you know, you can imagine the um, there's like a tube and the air passing through that tube tells 
the plane how fast it's going, mm. like how fast is the air passing through it. But there's also tubes that um, like literally measure the the air, right? When we talk about different altitudes and how the the air pressure changes and like the composition of the air changes that's how that little tube it's super sensitive yeah. and can see, tell how far away you are from the ground based on how thin the air is based on the uh, air pressure and i think that's so fascinating yeah. like someone thought i of think that. it must be i know i know <laughs> engineers uh. uh that idea that the um I mean, it just seems like it'd have to be so incredibly sensitive because they are pretty accurate, right? Like, right. they're really very accurate. They know if... I, I wouldn't have guessed that the air pressure was, like, insanely different 100 feet up. Yeah. Or, and, and maybe there's more systems that, that uh, assist in this process, but still it's... So that's it. So they're just little tubes. That's what they yeah. are, right? Little tubes that let air in, right? So uh, they sent the little uh, cameras, like the little Navy camera robots down or whatever, uh, to try to see the the pitot tubes, right, and see you know look at them, or you know hopefully, you know maybe even bring the pieces of the plane that have those on it back up and mm-hmm. things like that. And so, uh, like we talked about it before in the with the South African flight, where you know you've got you know a little camera, like a little robot camera going down there. Yeah. You know, and there's you know fish, and and again, it's it has to be hard to look at, right? But they they drive the little robot right over to where the pedostatic tubes are, and um, and they're covered by duct tape. What? Covered by There's duct, duct tape. tape. There's duct tape over the tubes. What? So. You remember the pilots actually said that while they were flying. They said that the maintenance guys had done something. Oh, right. Oh, my God. So that night, right before uh, Flight 603 took the plane and took off, uh, they had cleaned the plane. The maintenance guys had just cleaned the exterior of the plane and in order to protect the tubes, jeez, oh, they cover them with tape. And the maintenance guy forgot to take it off. Oh, my God. So the plane was completely fine. The plane was completely fine. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Damn it. So, I know. So uh, the first mistake was using duct tape. They have this like brightly like reflective tape mm. that they usually use for things like this yeah. to make it really clear that it's still there. Um, so the first mistake was using duct tape. And uh, then the maintenance guy, whose name is public knowledge, and I, I – ruled against yeah. seeing it oh my god i can't um, even imagine being him yeah holy fuck like no 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 oh my gosh it makes i'm yeah I like feel sick. physically nauseous. yeah thinking about it because yeah. any one of us could have done that one billion percent 
And and there are right and there but there's so there's usually again there's tons of redundancy tons of checks and balances right. tons of stuff like that in aviation so he he used the wrong tape yeah problem a yeah b he forgot he forgot to remove yeah. it then uh the guy who was like overseeing the project didn't notice the supervisor that night was out sick mm. so the person who was like the supervisor for the maintenance that night was just a regular like a lead agent right functionally just like another guy uh and then the pilot right so uh eric the captain uh you've seen them like pilots do walk arounds um at the, like the beginning of end and end of every flight yeah. where they just look around and and just run their eye over the plane it was night and they use a flashlight at night uh but the it's it's duct tape Jeez so it doesn't Louise. show up very well right. right and he has a flashlight and the the actual location of these tubes is like up high right it was way off the ground and he didn't see it and and they took off gosh and like how many other things are that color on the plane probably a lot like it's all metal and yeah exactly right so the like who's to blame question yeah right um for a lot of people it would be you know the maintenance guy right and for other people there's gonna be other answers right so the maintenance guy is one answer um the there was a american lawyer who um represented not all of the families but um more than half of the families uh like in a class action suit Mm. and they sued boeing because they said that boeing should predict a problem like this they said that boeing shouldn't have a system where in order to clean the plane Mm. you have to you have to put tape over it you have to put something over the the ports and boeing was like no, it is not our fault. Is this like you know? Yeah. Boeing was like, no, it's like Aero Peru's fault. Maybe it's the maintenance guy's fault. Maybe it's the captain's fault because it's his. He's supposed to approve the plane. Like, and ultimately, um, I'm gonna. I'll say I'll put a time code in here. Um, I'm gonna talk about a very difficult, very, um, very very difficult detail here. Mm. Um, so Boeing ultimately settled, right? So Boeing ultimately settled, mm. and they actually settled uh, for around a million dollars a passenger. Holy shit! Which is right. Which is, I mean, this is 1996, right? Like this is, uh, like that's big money, yeah. and it's big money now, right? <laughs> and it's actually the biggest, or it was at the time, and still is one of the biggest uh, payouts per passenger for a non. American flight, a non-American mm, plane, yeah. right? So, um, so all the passengers, and, like families, got that money. Yeah, okay. I don't know. It, I I don't know if it's just the passengers who were represented, or if other passengers like took a settlement much earlier, or whatever. Because it took a long time. Sure. Obviously, it's a long time. So, but I know that at least I think forty-one, at least forty-one, like families of at least forty-one of the passengers got that. Okay. And there's uh, so this is where. Um, there was a detail that contributed to it being such a high amount. Mm. And so um, just skip ahead if you don't want to hear this. So the plane was not going very fast at all. 
when it hit the water. Mm. It was close to stall speed, and they they weren't they didn't crash like from from way up high. Oh, they no. were they they basically right. So um, the people who were found, the bodies that they found, um, had had. They believe that most of the people on board drowned. Oh in the my plane. god! Yeah. So as a result of that, um, that contributed to Boeing paying out a much larger amount. Right. Right. Jeez and, Louise. I mean, it's so horrible. Jeez. Uh, there's kind of a part two to the investigation, or not the investigation, but there's kind of a second layer to the, like, whose fault is it, though? Okay. Uh, so the maintenance guy, they actually, at the beginning of all this, they threw him in jail. They threw the, the maintenance, maintenance guy. guy? forgot it. The maintenance oh guy. They threw the maintenance guy in jail. Uh, they, like, uh, accused him of um, negligent homicide. Jeez. And Guido, our guy, Guido, was actually really mad Good. about this. Good. And he still is mad about it. Like, if you see any invest or any interviews with him, he says, like, they just took, like, the lowest person yep. they could find yep. and blamed him. Yep. Like, he said he's, like, by far the poorest. He doesn't have the foggiest idea what, what he's covering with the tape. No. He doesn't know anything about about like he's he's like the lowest paid bottom of the barrel guy making in, minimum wage like pole. fuck off oh yeah crazy crazy minimum wage like, like crazy right and and uh guido was extremely against that and it made him very angry um but the ultimately he was found guilty of negligent homicide and but but he got two years for it and the sentence was suspended. Okay. So it just feels like it's all just like lip service. Sure. Like someone's got to go to jail for this. We'll throw the guy who can't in any way defend himself yep. really, like in any meaningful way in, and we won't actually make him go to jail. Like it's just a bizarre way of, of that's what I don't get. Like just a bizarre way of like, is that justice? Right. Like for, for who? I don't right. know. But Right. I, I mean, I understand, again, at the most foundational level, it's his job to take it off. But again, he had he had no idea. And he's not the only person who's supposed to check it. And I am definitely not trying to blame the pilot at all. No, no, right? of course not. But you do. I don't know. I mean, like, there's a reason why everything is redundant. Is to, exactly. Yeah, exactly. The redundancy is supposed to catch that stuff. So. um, The. Yeah. I don't know. Damn. It's 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 horrible. I cannot I can't oh, there is a thing though. The the maintenance guy, uh, he says that he did remove it and the plane was sabotaged. Oh, and everybody's just like, Okay, buddy. Like right. right. Let's take, yeah, mm, like he's no. he probably can't deal with the fact that that simple little mistake ended in a lot of death. Like Right. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> exactly. Exactly. And and I bet he again. This is his job, right? He's probably done it a billion times. Yeah. Where he put the tape on and took it off. And they say like, why didn't you use the reflective tape? And every time they ask that, I I want to ask like, did they actually have reflective tape? Right. Like, yeah. Did they, or did they did they just hand him duct tape? Right. And both are possible. Truly, like that. I I I think both of those are possible because I think that. Um, they obviously have duct tape around for other stuff, and so maybe he just 
whatever is in a hurry or duct tapes what he had in his pocket or whatever it is and yeah and maybe so maybe they have the reflective tape handy and he just didn't use it yeah or maybe they didn't really have it or maybe it was always like a hodgepodge and he just knew like there's two tapes and he grabbed one of them you know it it's hard to guess like how thorough the training was right boeing did change the covers like they added covers to those ports okay um so that or like I, they they created a cover for it so that um you could clean the plane without uh like putting putting tape over them yeah. but that is not something that is i mean uh right it is so small so small holy cow yeah so fucking small i know we're on a little bit of a of a run with I really know. small things. Yeah. I know. I know. Um that's kind of the yeah, thing with innovation so that, though. It's like it's stuff like just incidences like that are gonna happen, you know, with like Yeah. Any innovative new technology or like ability that's not like God given, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's real. Any yeah. And it's just like, oh, the collateral is just so hard for that. Like it's just it's hard to swallow. I know. I know. <sighs> so very um yeah. Yeah. Very, very sad. Nobody I mean, nobody they, wins. They, like I mean most of these no. stories nobody wins, but I keep I keep thinking about the fact that like after the wing touched the water, they actually did keep the plane in the air for another twenty seconds. Wow! They the uh, if you watch different things, so like there's a Mayday episode about this, mm-hmm. um, and there's like other, I mean, watch everybody's video on it, obviously. But uh, one of the things that one of the investigators on there talked about was he's very much like they were having a like those pilots were flying the plane under unbelievably stressful circumstances. Yes. Yeah. Right? Like, everything's screaming at them. They don't know what to trust. They don't know where they are in space. Everything's black. Um, but the... Basically, what they said was the... the In a in a world where they had been trained, so the NTSB, they, they study these things and they create training. Like, what, what could future pilots do if they find themselves in this situation? And what they said uh, basically is... It goes back to the idea that the plane actually was controllable, right? The problem is, is that they didn't know, like, some of the most basic stuff that you need to know when flying a plane, which is, you know, how high you are and how fast you're going. Like, they didn't have extremely important information, yeah. but the everything on the plane was working, right? And so, basically, what they said was that you would want to, um, like, keep the plane at, like, a steady, like, cruising speed. Speed, like keep the power on the engines mm-hmm. at like a steady speed, right? You don't you don't know how fast you're going, but keep them at like a keep the engines where they should be, right? And like believe that you're going the right speed. And again, the speed information that they could get from air traffic control was accurate because it it gets this the air traffic control measures your speed using the radar, right? So um, and then basically you just get used to flying the plane, like like gain confidence basically flying in those conditions and then try to land. And the pilots themselves were obviously extremely eager to land. Right. And again, they had no idea what was wrong. That's, that's 
the pivotal thing, right. right? They did not know that it was the tape on these tubes that was creating the problem. They didn't know it wasn't the computer. They didn't know it wasn't this. They didn't know it wasn't that. So, again, they didn't know what other problems they could be. there could be. Um, I mean, the captain was uh, kind of when you read the NTSB report or the not the NTSB report, the um, CVR, uh, which is typed out, you can see um, that the that that the captain was pretty uh like preoccupied with like the thing his brain focused on was the rudder to a certain extent he didn't understand that rudder uh reading that they were getting and so mm-hmm. he he and it just goes back to the idea that you're getting all of this information all at once and it's really really hard for your brain to cut through and know well, he couldn't know. He couldn't know in that yeah, moment no. what was relevant and what wasn't. Right. He didn't have the ability to. But I think I cut you off earlier. Oh, no. Um, yeah. So then I was like 100% wrong about the passengers. It's not funny, but like the passengers knowing. Oh. Because I was I thinking like, oh, that yeah, that's good. Like they didn't have anything to be worried about. And then boom, like it's over. But nope. I know this time. Uh, And I mean, it's not the pilot's fault. Like they didn't, they had literally no idea, you know? No, they thought they were at 10,000 feet. Yeah. They thought they were doing the best thing by not like having everybody worry. Well, they probably, I mean, again, like they were, they were so, I mean, it's, it's so overwhelming. And again, so we talked about that whole thing that like aviate, navigate communicate thing mm. uh like the order of operations the pemdos or whatever for yeah. pilots like so like flying the plane and like navigating the plane are like the most important thing right like just fly making sure the plane will fly getting the plane to where it needs to be and then communication and yeah. they I mean, I'm in no way blaming the air traffic controller but they did need they actually needed a little bit more communication and they asked for a God or however yeah. you want to word it. Like they didn't at the end there, the, they were losing altitude partially because they're, they were slowing down and the air traffic controller did have data on how fast they were going. And I'm not blaming air traffic control at all to be clear, but, but that communication didn't happen. Right. right. That they, he, they had slowed down to 200 knots. They didn't have that information there mm. in the plane. And that information did exist Right. On the air traffic controller screen. So I guess I bring that up to say like they're they're not even able to get through all the communication they need to do to keep the plane in the air. Mm. So communicating with the people, especially when they think they're 10,000 feet, is just not you got to prioritize. Right. But right. Exactly. You no, know, it would be bizarre from the from the passenger perspective, as it turns out, Jeez, would be yeah. um, just flying along. And then all of a sudden. Right. I mean, <sighs> Like not to be, oh shit, I keep hitting this thing. Not to be like graphic, but I think mm. I like I don't know. I don't know how long does it take. Like I, I can't imagine that. I guess it's pretty, still pretty fast considering. I think it matters a lot, really. Um, well, I guess I don't know because I don't know how fast. I don't know how much the. The plane broke up or like how fast it filled with water right i mean but, yeah either way it's it's awful and terrible right no it's it's a tragedy yeah. i mean it's a horrible tragedy 
Right. I'm trying and, to like I'm trying to like justify it in my mind of like you know. Right. No, it wasn't right. That's a quick. human brain like yeah. needs to do that. Yeah. Right. And and I think in all seriousness, I think our like American brains do that. Yes. Honestly. Yeah. I think that that's part of our culture yep. is like I think I told you I had a friend who died um who's from another country. Um like he's he li- he never he was going to visit us. I know. Actually. Yeah, we, we were living together. We were that happened. Right. And and he died. And um, my first question and every single American person I've talked to about this is first question is how did he die? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because and that is and I've had people who are not American say, like, why do you have to ask that? Yeah. Like, like what? And it's just like, I don't it's, it's it is. Yeah. It's the most natural question I could possibly have. And it it honestly like I really I mean, he was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful person. Yeah. And there is a part of me that like really wants to know. Right. And I won't ever know. And that's OK. Yeah. Right. It, it it doesn't change anything. But I think that that's such a part of our grieving process yeah. is trying to um I mean, why do we why do we like true crime stuff? Why do we do these stories? Right. Part of it is just like wanting to look at these things and and understand them mm-hmm. or like find something redeeming in it or find something. And I mean, I think about like you want to believe that people like die instantly. You want to believe people don't suffer yeah. like you, you, you hope for that detail and sometimes when you're looking for that detail, you don't get it and you find out something awful. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. I've never thought about that por- that <sighs> piece of it, though, that cultural piece. That's interesting to me. I'll have to look more into that. Like just on like a yeah. just like a totally separate thing. Like. I wonder why that is. Because like they're like, I mean, for we talk about horrible things on and great things on this podcast, obviously, but. I mean, 40% of our audience is not Americans. And this is like essentially finding out how people die, like, you know, what exactly happened. So it is interesting to me, like that, that specific thing, like when a person, you know, it's like different with if, if it's like a story or like a lot of people or, but it's like personal, you know, like that's the first thing that every, I mean, yeah, that's like. I don't know. It it's the only first question I can yeah, imagine asking. Right. Yeah. Like the um and I don't know, maybe there's probably different reasons. It's it's I don't imagine it's an unbelievable question like everywhere, but I know sure. in some places it's I mean I found out I found the hard out way, yeah. I guess in some places right. it's not the question, but right. um but I like don't even know another question that it's I mean if you're going to ask a question, right? Cause there's like the grief. And I think even that, like that's a part of grieving yeah. is, is, is not believing it basically. Yeah. And, and probably, yeah, part of like the ultimate process of accepting a tragedy is, is I think a lot of people, one of the steps on the way to acceptance is understanding. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, For sure. And that, I don't know. Some people don't want to know, and I think that's okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Of course, it's okay yeah. if you don't if you don't want to know. It's very hard for me to imagine. It's um, almost as if it's if it's like a yeah. it's like a buffer to the grieving process. Like I'm gonna be very mm-hmm. like I'm not gonna break down. I'm gonna need all that information, and then I'm gonna decide how I break down. You know, like it's yeah. almost like 
I don't know, levels or something. Like if it's a horrific accident, it's like, it's like more severe or like very sad or I don't know. It's like you need like a right a life raft in your grief. Yeah, yeah. Like you need something to hold on to. Like oh, that hurts. one of the things that like I hold on to in a story like this is just like how hard they fought for mm, it, right? Yeah. Like that's part of what you like hold on to. Or or in flights where people didn't know anything was wrong and, and then just were gone. Like that's something your mind can like latches onto. Yeah. And I, again, that's probably, that's, that's, I don't think we're the only ones that do that. I think that's gotta be fairly common, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I do think it's probably part of American culture to, um, yeah. like that kind of just latching onto something that's like positive or hopeful or even neutral, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. is your is your um is your fact oh yeah i'm excited for this one is it is it about it's probably not about death it's a is it more um, fun is it more lighthearted? it's <laughs> you know i was thinking i should save this fact but i don't have a backup fact i should save this for when we do um shit, what's it called the londonberg what's the gutenberg guten time oh, hindenburg? hindenburg there it is um <laughs> the london, the london Berg, Berg. I like that better. Yeah. um but did you know casey there are only 25 blimps in the world worldwide really? worldwide there are only 25 blimps what? yeah period? period period done like in the world not in new york state like i'm thinking you know like each state has got to have like three right <laughs> I don't know. I would have thought so. Right. 25 in the world. Is, and a lot of it has to do with the Hindenburg. Hindenburg? Yeah. <laughs> can't re- yeah I can't yeah. remember things that, that are just I mean, told to me. <laughs> is it like, is it 25? Uh, so like, like 25 passenger total. blimps or like even just like advertising blimps? Like period. Um, That's a good question. I would. S- I don't even know if there's a difference. Right. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I don't but, either. I don't either. I'll send you the article. Maybe we'll post the article. That's wild. Yeah. Didn't the guy, if anybody's seen that documentary, did, well, I just, there's, I don't know, the guy who like made NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys, yeah. you know that guy? The asshole who like ripped he, them all off? That guy? Yeah, yeah. His, he made his fortune in like being a fake blimp operator or whatever. What? Okay. So he like, uh everybody double check these details right but <laughs> but he he had like a like a kind of a scam where he he got what he what a, a blimp right and wanted to do like advertising so he would he sold advertising to people you know like i'll paint your 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 ad on the blimp yeah. and we'll use it for um for advertising and like charge a lot of money and he but it's not like a big blimp. It's like a really, it's like a dinky, he got it for like whatever, like yeah. on Craigslist or whatever. It's just like a little dinky balloon basically. And he charged uh, like Jansport, like the jean company, oh like a ton of money to advertise on it. And I think it, it like crashed on like day one, minute one Naturally. or whatever. Like it, cause he's, cause he's not a blimp operator. Right. Like what are we talking right. about? And, uh, but he, 
had it was an insurance scam. He because wow. he had he charged Jance for it, but he had like a million dollars in insurance on this like oversized balloon, and that's like where he started to earn his money. Wow, what a and now we have, and now I know, right. but now like in sync and yeah, that's true. Actually, boys exist. But I think he ripped them off some pretty bad. Ones. Yeah, he that did. Was the whole thing. Wow, what a scumbag. He did. He. I, I don't know. This is a whole, this is a very different topic, but he, um, I, I think, have you ever seen Aaron Carter talk about him? No. Remember Aaron oh Carter? Oh my God, Look yes. At this, like 2002 conversation. Aaron Carter. But like, he thought he was like the best guy and thinks everybody's way too hard on really? him. Really? Yeah. And a lot of the, it, they all seem to be like. That's because he was the little brother of a Backstreet Boy. So, and that guy gave him right. a chance. Yeah, and I think that's how when I've seen people talk about him, it's kind of like he like he didn't. What's weird when I anytime I like learn something about this, I feel like this really sucks because you didn't have to rip them off. Right. Yeah, you could have. You hadn't ripped them off. This would just be fine. Right. Right. You You, could just be fine. That's crazy. Like there was enough money for them to be rich and for you to be rich. Like there's still enough money. Yeah. Right. Right now. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, so, so that's, yeah. this is, if you're hearing this, then I guess I was in this kind of mood when I was yeah. editing. <laughs> right. But. You lasted a while. Or we just need, like, yeah, we just need, like, a mental, yeah. I don't know, to, like, look away, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, we kind of stare at a lot of human suffering yeah. and then. Just look away. And then look away. And it's okay yeah. to look away. It yeah, is okay. It is. It is. So the next time you see um, a blimp. I, be thankful because there's only 25 left. I know. What an honor. I feel like New York City has like at least eight of them. Jeez. It Maybe seems not. that way, right? <laughs> right. I mean, right. Maybe they fly Maybe it's just all the over one them. blimp. Maybe it's like, yeah, right. Maybe it's one blimp. Yeah. If you guys are just dying for a Hindenburg episode, let me know and I'll I'll put it at, I'll <laughs> yes. put it higher on the list. But yes, email us um, because I want the... the Hindenburg. And if you do it too. Oh, okay. Then I'll definitely we'll do, do it. it. Or I'll definitely say I'm going to do it and then randomly get distracted <laughs> by a totally different flight like 10 minutes before we're going to record. Which is beyond but, fine. Um, oh, you're very gracious. Because, I mean, many times, darling friends, many, many times, Mariah and I have said, like, let's do the story at this time on this day. And I'm like, I'm going to do this story. And then 20 minutes before, I'm just like, I switched it like because I get <laughs> Yeah, no. Ones. I don't know. And don't the know. amount of work put in is 100% Casey and 0%. Oh, you hear my dog barking. 0% me. So anytime you want to switch a story, I'm fine. It's fine. It's all good. You are you are you are supportive. And I <laughs> I'm here and for I would it. not do this. I'm here for it. I would not do this if you weren't there. So <laughs> as much as I love all of you, I need a person to talk yeah, to. Yeah. So but, uh, yeah. So that's that's Aero Peru six oh three. Um yeah. the yeah, I really I really, really um yeah, I don't know. This is this is when I, I also I also hate this story and wish it had a happier yeah. ending. I hope Guido's alright. Must have been tough. Yeah, I do I know. I know because like that would make me mad too if I like he is an investigator but just seeing like the injustice like he's 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 mad that 
he like identifies like the class aspect yeah. of it. He identifies yeah. the fact that they they found somebody who had no social capital, yeah. like no ability to like who no one would believe, no one respected right. anyway. Right. And and didn't throw him in jail, but did you know what I mean? Yeah. Like well did put him in jail. He spent time in jail. Um ultimately he didn't have to um serve like I mean, if he had done like twenty five years, that would have been horrible. Oh my god. Ugh. Right, but he probably lost his job. I mean, what? <laughs> like, definitely. Lost. Yeah, I would. I would bet a lot of money he lost yeah. his job. But, but he, I mean, it was just a stupid. And that's what's so frustrating, right? Like, so he forgot. But if if anybody else had noticed, right? Yeah. And that's what's so yeah. horrible for everybody. Like on some level, I think about. I mean, if like. If somebody like if somehow I don't know if like the captain knew right how upset he would be at himself right like he right. that's just I don't know it's so sad yeah not that it's I don't know it's like a team it's like a net that's supposed to catch everything right yeah. I think I think Aaron and Tim have maybe only Aaron some of our BFFs of the show have uh, like used the uh, like Swiss cheese metaphor mm. that like the safety regulations are like if you're like stacking pieces of Swiss cheese on top of each other uh, and like hoping that the holes don't line yep. up. Right. And that's it's a great analogy. This, like, right. There's like, a, it is a good analogy, right? It is. And, um, that's, uh, Aaron from any air crash investigation and Tim from FS mania. I gotta always be plugging for other people. Side note, if you are <laughs> but, still listening um, to this, yeah. uh, Tim's JFK video is phenomenal. <gasps> oh yes. my gosh. I'm so glad you reminded Holy me. Holy cow. Every week, every week I've been like, why didn't I remember to mention it? It's so good. It's, it's so, so good. good. And kind of, I mean, not yeah. not similar in the same way to this story, but with like the spatial awareness stuff. Yeah. Very similar. Yeah. Yeah. There is. Yeah. No, it's really, really excellent. If you, um, it's FS Mania is the channel and it's a JFK Jr. Um, video. Yeah. And if you search, I mean, if you search um, FS Mania JFK Jr., it'll definitely come up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really, really good. My grandma really liked it. Yes. My dad really liked Amazing. it. It's really, really good. And they're not aviation people, so. Yeah. Yeah. It's just really, really yeah, well done. Yeah, thanks for doing and that, And obviously, Tim. like, visual. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Tim. But visual media is able, like, there's just stuff that you can do with visual media that we obviously oh don't. God. You know, options. We don't avail ourselves of those, but something about, like, the. Yeah, the the framing, the way that he tells the story and yeah. his use of the visual media is really excellent. Yeah. Wild. Yeah, it's really, really good. Maybe Tim, maybe we'll have Tim come on and tell it. Yeah, that would be great. You want to do that, Tim? You want <laughs> Let to? Let us know. Let us know. Yeah. It's if not visual media. If you've hung so on this could long. get lost. I know, it's going to be like an hour and 15 <laughs> minutes in. It's fine. This time. And you had to listen to us talk about about Aaron Carter, <laughs> but I don't know. Cool. We just love you guys so yeah, much. Yeah, we do. We love you all so we much. We really do. And yeah. Um, oh, we have yeah, to pick a, place. pick a place. Peru. Do we have any listeners in Peru? Oh, I don't know. I don't, maybe. I don't think we do. Oh, we have Poland. Somebody in Poland. That's not, that's not close to what <laughs> we're talking about though. You want to do a state? You want to yeah, do Ohio? Let's do a state. Who's in a, who's we in have Ohio? a lot of Ohio listeners. We do? Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. It's like... Have I-
editing Casey. I cut out like 20 minutes of us talking about Ohio here. So, um, love you, Ohio. Y'all are fine. Great, we love yeah. you. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you're from Ohio. Fuck. And the only guy I've ever found who fixes like antique crystal yeah. is in Cleveland, Ohio. Yep. And I really like him and he was the best guy and he's very nice. And when I called him crying because I broke antique crystal, yeah. he uh, was nice, but did not want to deal with my emotion <laughs> and told me to pray for him because the Browns were playing. There you go. And I, and that was just, that was just what I needed. I just needed somebody to say like, I can fix it. Stop focusing on your problems and pray for the Cleveland Browns. And I was like, yes. okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh. That's great. What a guy. This episode's gone off the rails. Totally off the because rails. Because it was too sad. Yeah. We needed, we needed a little so we up. had to, we needed to zip back up yeah. after all yes. that. So. Yes, we did. Right. Yeah. We love you all. Yep. Um, we love you if you're from Ohio and we love you if you're from anywhere else. And I love you, Mariah. I love you, Casey. Uh, do all the stuff. Yeah. Uh, TikTok and Instagram and uh, emailing us at thepodcrash at gmail.com. The got com, and I'm not gonna nah. fix it. You get it. Um, and is that? See it? you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. We so hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you noticed anything we got wrong or want to reach us for any other reason, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok. You can also email us at thepodcrashed at gmail.com. Uh, if you think of it, we would love to see a review from you on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else where they do reviews, but I think it's kind of just Apple. Uh, thank you so, so much for telling your friends about our show. It's been so, so, so fun to grow with you. Uh, thank you so, so much. And um, if you're enjoying the episodes we create, then hopefully you can keep telling your friends. We love you and can't wait to talk to you next week. Bye.